welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have the Spank therapist and writer Z Royale join us for a conversation about authentic alignment. Together, we talk about not being boxed in by your queer identity, squirting trapeze artists, and nature hoeing. Y'all, do I really need to say anything more about why you should be listening to this episode today? Really, I shouldn't have to. That alone should stand. But if I need to say anything more, I'm just going to say I think I might be in love with them. Z is amazing and just has so much vulnerability that they bring to the space and so many different lessons that it is so clear they have thought over and really spent time getting to know themselves. And it's obvious in the way that they speak and the way that they bring themselves into spaces and the passion that just comes from being your authentic self. So it's very tangible and I was so happy to have them on the podcast. So y'all tune in. Yeah, I also feel like the world's falling apart again. So like I am good and also not good, right? Like I'm, I was thinking about this very recently just before this, like how much of the world are we, is everybody okay? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been... I mean, before we get into everything and just been like, yeah. thinking like, finally, the pandemic is cleared up. Then it's like, oh, no, the Delta. And actually, I also exactly. hate Delta Airlines. So I just kind of <laughs> combine them both. <laughs> I love that. I was like, yes. that's why I never fly Delta. <laughs> um, <laughs> you knew. But, yeah, you I'm always a, knew. I'm a, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a world traveler. So I just have been having a hard time even just working from home. Mm, yeah, definitely. Is there anything before we record to that you want to talk about specifically, don't want to talk about in our conversation? I'm pretty open. I mean, I know that you've noticed that I have Z Royale as my performance art <laughs> and sex work based page. And then Zola Bruce is my sex workers project persona. However, part of what I okay. probably want to talk about anyway is the fact that they're both me. <laughs> so trying to consistently find ways to out myself without needing to broadcast is like to go and announce hey by the way these are both me to my family I just constantly mm -hmm. am just like you know what whatever it's the same person and whatever if they de if they decide to research then they should ask me questions and I'll answer them mm -hmm. I know I already so asking the questions <laughs> I'm feeling alignment it. is a major uh theme for me right now all right. I mean, I'm ready to start asking you about it, but I also want to recognize that if you have any questions for me, I don't know, any worries about podcasting or anything else, I always just like to hold a little space before. No, actually, I've been doing podcasts a lot and awesome. I've enjoyed them and I just listened to a couple of yours that I really like. So I just finished looking. <laughs> I like, took notes. I was going to just... Uh, <laughs> I just finished um, listening to the one on the anarchy of beginning from love um, mm. with Nat, and I thought that was really interesting and powerful. So that was a yeah. good one I just listened to. And then, like, right when you messaged me, I was like, which one of these do I want to listen to? And, of course, I chose none, come socks, and relationship <laughs> yes. anarchy with little money. Yeah. So that, those are the two. They're Those amazing. are both very different and very yes. good. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I know every single episode is like a completely different frequency depending on who I chat with, which is kind of makes it fun for me at least because then I get to kind of tap into all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's it. I was just was like, oh, okay, well, it's a comfortable conversation and I'm all about it. Yeah. Well, great. I'm happy that you're here. Do you want to start then maybe at explaining to the listeners what the two you talked about, Z-Royale, and then your other project? Would you like to start there? Yes. So most people know me, especially in the sex work community, as Z-Royale. And mm -hmm. that's mostly because of the criminalization of sex work and 
also the fact that that identity was able to evolve more when I moved to Europe for seven years because I didn't have to deal with sex shaming and Mm -hmm. I was just able to expand ideas around my own sex and sexuality in ways that was more progressive. Mm -hmm. So returning to the States, you know, of course, I'm really happy to have a full-time job at the Sex Workers Project as Director of Communications. But with that said, still, I don't normally blend Z Royale with Zola Bruce, which is my Director of Communications role. And as I'm saying it now, I just decided, like, why wouldn't I? Because Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm working at the Sex Workers Project, which is the reason why I feel very comfortable being able to be my full self. A part of my work is to advocate, promote, and also talk about the spectrum of sex work, mm. which is cho- choice, circumstance, and coercion. And at the Sex Workers Project, we do that with immigration lawyers mostly because a lot of the people we work with are migrant sex workers. And in essence, when I was living in Europe, I was a migrant sex worker. So I think it's basically everything has been full circle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so just so everyone knows, my pronouns are Z, they, and them, and Z being my name, but also being a gender-neutral term um, for those that constantly seem to have an issue with they, them. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to constantly explain to people that they is not always plural. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, but those are my pronouns, and that is something that I've also come to terms with since I left the States, um, because I felt like... Before I left the States in 2012, I was very repressed and repressed in all senses, like Mm -hmm. my sexuality and also how I was able to really show up in space because I was always kind of serving a very femme performative presence Mm -hmm. that had to do with a lot of things, had to do with my connection with myself and what I thought, you know, actually a disconnect with myself because I thought I need to present something different than I actually really felt. Mm. And that was for other people, not for me. And also I was in a relationship. I was married to um, uh, my ex-wife at the time who really preferred me to be high femme. Mm. So I was performing also for that relationship, but I got divorced now and I became my own primary and now I basically keep telling myself, why do you give a fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Like, also, even just when I was saying it a second ago, I was like, I don't know why I'm still doing that, but I still do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think, like, in essence, I'm just always trying to align myself from the inside out and try to fight against the outside in, which always is Mm -hmm. a challenge when it comes to dealing with societal expectations and you know, yes. the fact that people are saying like, oh, you have a master's degree. Why would you do sex work? Or what happened to you that you had to do sex work? Wow. <laughs> so that's something that's something that I'm constantly also challenging myself when it comes to like how I feel about that. Mm. Other people's perception. Yeah, certainly. Thank you for sharing all of that. There's a lot that I'm excited to talk about. I mean, I I want to go back to earlier you and you talked about being repressed in your understanding of your sexuality and how you showed up in various spaces. Could you talk more about what that was like? Where were you at at that time? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was kind of my second, I, I would say my second Evolvement to move. Or I, I was born in Dallas, Texas. So mm-hmm. moving from Dallas, Texas, I was already like, yay, I'm in New York. I can be queer. And people don't have a problem with that because I'm at Sarah Lawrence College, mm-hmm. um, which is a small liberal arts school that used to be predominantly female are, you know, gender queer. So I came into myself first there. But then I have to say, I still felt there's there were a lot of limits around what it meant to be queer. And maybe at that time, even just like a lesbian, Mm -hmm. I never really felt like a lesbian, but I felt like that was the most fitting terminology while I was at Sarah Lawrence, for example. And to be a lesbian was to be able to say, Hey, I'm into women and I'm into same sex partnership. Mm -hmm. But then as I was evolving, even there, I was like, I'm not just into women. I'm into people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm into people. I'm into seeing people beyond their gender. 
However, I did, you know, fast forward, meet, I started dating a lot of women and going to a lot of like women focused clubs at that time. Mm -hmm. And that was like the 90s. That was like late 90s. So it was like when New York still had like a pretty fun club culture. Okay. And, you know, you can go out, you can do ecstasy, you can meet all these people and, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I feel so much freer, you mm. know, but, but then I do think that I still felt a bit boxed so that after a while, even though I was dating predominantly women, if I liked someone who was more masculine in like their looks mm-hmm. or like, even if, you know, when I start to really realize actually I like trans men or like actually people in general who are more androgynous Mm -hmm. who are not trying to fit a gender role um then I start to feel like oh does that mean I'm not a lesbian Mm -hmm. and and that was me also thinking outside that box because I was like maybe I'm not you know maybe I can't really say that anymore Mm -hmm. or maybe that wasn't really ever me but I was again trying to fit into a perception based on the people I dated and I really came into that more when I was, when I met my ex-wife, who mm. also was very androgynous, but she, her pronouns, who I did feel empowered with because mm-hmm. I felt like, oh, you know, she sees me and my sexuality because at that time I started doing burlesque and she like bought up, she bought me a pole to put in the house so that I can always dance in the living room. She supported my burlesque gigs brown girls burlesque for a while until I got too serious about it Mm. so after after I guess a year of doing it she's like are you still gonna do this hobby like this is this is not I mean this is like interrupting with the rest of your career wow and I was like how is that you know and she's like well you know how can anybody take you seriously if all you're doing is constantly like showing yourself on stage and I'm like you know I'm an exhibitionist that's what I like to do (laughs) I thought you liked that too because you know lucky you you get it at home so um yes instead of like supporting me it became like she became jealous of the fact that I was becoming more empowered and more into my body Mm. and therefore didn't really need her to pump me up in order to do my burlesque work where probably initially I was still trying to get comfortable with it and comfortable with my body. Once I became more comfortable and more independent in how I started to feel around my sex, the way I expressed myself sexually, then also she started to repress me. Mm-hmm. And so that became a problem in our relationship. And it definitely did, um, especially when we got married, because we weren't, I think this happened mostly when we got married, because all of a sudden there was this, what I call homonormative system that I felt again trapped in because mm-hmm. she really just wanted like the wife, the doctor's wife who stood at home, took care of the dogs and did all the typical things mm-hmm. that like, mm-hmm. you know, heterosexual couples do. Yeah. So I felt very um, slighted and I felt like very shocked that I was, that I ended up with that type of person. Mm-hmm. I was, didn't expect that. So that's why um, eventually I got out of that relationship and moved to Europe. Mm. Wow. <laughs> to to be who I am fully without having any, just, just feeling like, you know what, fuck relationships at that time. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be with anybody who first likes me for my, the way I look, my independence and my eroticism. But then if they can't control that, then they no longer like mm. it. Mm-hmm. So it just felt, it felt like a power and control situation where it was. Um, and then I left that situation to rediscover another part of myself, which was when I moved by myself to Europe. And so in your timeline, how long were you married? When was Europe? How recent was this? I'm trying to conceptualize your journey. Well, the I got married in, oh my God, 2005. <laughs> and I had already been with my ex-wife for five years so it just seemed like the natural next step were health insurance reasons also because she wanted me to have a child even though I decided I didn't want to which was another problem literally right after we got married is when things took a turn and I still stuck in there for five more years Mm. so a decade of my life from 25 to 35 which I know everyone's like you're like I thought you were 25 (laughs) 
I'm not. <laughs> I just, I just know I'm so much happier that I look so much younger mm. than I used to. Wow. And um, I, I feel like I, I kind of like regained some years again by creating more of the life that I want instead of the life that other people wanted me to have. Yeah. Do you feel like those years were lost? You use the word regain. I mean, I have to say, like, when I even look back at photos, because I did leave for Europe in 2012 um, for the first time to really actually to see if I could live there by mm -hmm. myself. I went to Amsterdam. Um, I developed a whole community of people there, kink scene, queer anarchist punk scene. Um, and then I felt more confident that I had community mm -hmm. so that I officially got my residence card in 2013 and really said, hey, I'm moving fully with three bags. So I left everything and I moved. <laughs> um, and in doing that, I started to feel just more liberated. I felt very determined. I mm. felt like, you know, these are the things I wanted. What did I want to do before I actually met my ex-wife? And yeah. this was one of the things I wanted to do. And because I'm such a giver in the way that I'm in connected, like romantic relationships, I had to really think about like my role in that mm -hmm. and how I need to change that so that I don't do that. So I don't continue to do that in other relationships. So I also processed, it took me some time, probably two years when I was in Amsterdam to just heal and process and really get into myself again mm. to a point where I felt super happy that I took that journey, even though it was difficult, you know, it's, it is hard to move by yourself to another country. Yeah. And even if you meet other people, Amsterdam is initially, you seem like the easiest place to be, but it is very white. And the Dutch culture is very specific when you live there. It's not like when you visit and go to the coffee shops, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a bit different when you live anywhere. Right. Cause you have, and also when you're a migrant. So, um, I, you know, I didn't speak about this part yet, but I, I went to school for dance and I was a, an artist the whole time. I mean, from when I was eight years old, I've been dancing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, burlesque was like a, another like a culmination of that. Of course. And so when I went to Europe, I was like, you know what, I'm not going to do the work I used. I'm not going to do social work and um, therapeutic work like I learned to do in college. I'm going to just actually go full force for my creative career. And part of that was to be able to connect with people around performance art and then my eroticism. So, you know, I started to, to develop these very erotic performances that I could do on stage at the Frank Reich, which is a queer anarchist punk space. It's like really the only one that still exists in Amsterdam right now that's a bit more grunge and not so, I would say, polished. So it just made me feel more free and I can really get down and dirty in the way I want it to. That's a big switch, though, coming from a relationship that you – I was really struck by the words you used of being shocked that you ended up in that kind of relationship structure that would pull away from your independent strength to really right. deciding that I'm going to do everything that I want and screw everybody else. Like It's a big mind shift that I think is worthy of spending time talking about. Like, How did you start to do that? Where did that strength come from? That, that strength really came from within, just knowing that I started to really just read more and spend more time just doing what I wanted to do separate from everybody. Like I was reading The Ethical Slut at that time, and I was like also talking to a lot of people that were in alternative relationships and realizing like there's so many ways to connect with others mm -hmm. um, than the Judeo-Christian society taught me mm. um, and realizing how brainwashed I was and how... I needed to deprogram myself. Mm -hmm. So I also um, labeled myself a sexual anarchist while I was there because I, and you know, it kind of, I guess, sounds also like what people would call relationship anarchy, but mm. in a way that I felt like I can make sexual connections with individuals that were non-typical. Just finding out like what the specific thing that each person that um, each lover that I met liked, which may have nothing to do with penetration. You know, it could have to do with just spanking or yeah. I started to learn more about other kink activities that I could get into to connect to others. And and so I felt like, yeah, everybody has individual needs and everybody has individual connections that are very specific to those connections. Mm. And I started to develop those more 
and get rid of guilt around like how many people I was connecting to and how and of course safety was always first but right. you know in in doing kink work you realize like you don't have to actually do a lot of fluid sharing or any like mm-hmm. it's probably mm-hmm. some of the safest sex work that you could do because sometimes it just has to do with humiliation mm-hmm. <laughs> it has to do with using tools but you don't actually have to ever you know and and actually that's the primary goal is to always have your agreements boundaries and consent is always primary so it just made connecting with others sexually more fun i just received a lot more gratification than i probably had in my whole life mm-hmm. um with any of my relationships <laughs> so it was really um for me just to know that I could individually connect and other and connect with others in ways that's very specific to our connection made me feel more anarchistic and I could just be self-defined and define my relationships dependent on how I felt those connections were going mm-hmm. and in my conversations with others what does that actually look like though a structure where you are valuing things based on what the connection actually is i think we could say that but a lot of people could hear that and not have any idea what that looks like in actual practice so i went to play parties for the first time when i was in amsterdam and realized like oh you know a play parties first you know there are different types of structures but like one of the first ones i went to was kind of like group therapy like we all were in a circle before we even started playing and we we shared the things that we desired and the things we definitely did not want. And then also the symbols that we want to use to say, you know, to basically have consent-based um, language that mm-hmm. might not be no or yes. It might be meow if they want more or refer if they wanted to get your attention. <laughs> like just mm-hmm. different types mm-hmm. of ways of um, creating safety. So that was, first of all, really progressive for me because I never experienced that. And then as I started to connect with people at the party and play in different ways, I was like, oh, you like to be spanked like this and you like to be spanked like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just even that. And then people telling me actually that I was really good at spanking, which is when I became a spank therapist. Um, I just feel like that's an example of just me taking tools that I learned from others and learning how to touch the bot different mm-hmm. bodies in different ways and not ever thinking like, you know, maybe, in the, maybe before that I might think like if somebody is a dom, then that's the only circumstance that they probably would spank. And then they spank and they just use a flog or whatever tool in this way. No, there's not one way. It has to do with your connectivity with the person and how you communicate mm-hmm. with them sexually. Like build up. Some people want softer taps um, that build up to something hard, and some people want something hard the whole time. Some people want um, something in the middle, and some people just want it soft. So that is kind of a metaphor for how I evolve in relationships sexually with people. Like sometimes it's just like a soft touch all the time. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily like you don't have to go hard, go into penetration, penetrative sex. Sometimes just that soft touch on the arm and just like stroking someone's body can be very orgasmic. I also think about it in terms of like when I was growing up in Texas and started to go to bars, I would realize like, you know, you can go in a bar and you can have a really like social, very light conversation with somebody randomly. And that's it, which is also it was still good, but it's not like something that you would write write home about or like you wouldn't like tell your friends about it It it's just like oh we just had a cute little flirt and then sometimes you get into really deep conversations with people at a bar that you might not have ever met before but you you have this connection with them you get into a conversation that you didn't expect to have and so and then there's the spectrum of that in between so I feel like that's also similar to how I see sex and how you connect to people sexually. Sometimes you have a very light conversation or light sexual encounter, and sometimes you have a very in-depth sexual encounter. And then sometimes it just fluctuates in between, and it might not, and, and also with, even when you're dealing with one person, it's not the same all the time. So it's just something right. to think about when it comes to your way of communicating. You don't always want to have deep conversations every day, you know, <laughs> like, <It's fair>. yeah. <laughs> um, so you need variety. And I find that has to do with, too, how I see sexual anarchy. I feel like there's always the, you, you shouldn't ever assume. You should always 
ask. And you should always also think about where you are that day. Maybe you had a bad day and you really don't have the capacity to dom somebody or be the aggressor in a situation, even if you have an aggressive personality. Like there was a period of time I went through too, um, healing from my breakup, um, my divorce really. <laughs> um, yeah that I was like, I don't want anybody to touch me. I don't want anybody to penetrate me. I'm going to be the mm. one all the time, right? And mm-hmm. I realized that was me being self-protective and it was me not trusting also. And I would need to really build with somebody to trust them to do to please me. So I just learned how to please others and really got off on that. I want to ask though, I mean, <laughs> have you learned to trust others? to this day, like now, (laughs) I'm constantly learning. I do have a a life partner right now. We live together. Um, We're not married, but we are building Mm -hmm. a relationship constantly. Love that. We are non-monogamous. That also means different things to different people, right? But what that means for me is that I'm in a relationship where we can be fully transparent. We can always check in about boundaries. We always check in about like, what is okay and what's not okay when it comes to dealing with other people. And that does not mean it's a make or break. It means that, again, sometimes we have to say like, oh, right, right now I'm just sensitive about the way you're dealing with this person, but that doesn't mean you should stop. And other times it's like, I'm not feeling right about that situation. Or I didn't feel right. Like some, we also do um, sometimes take on a third. And sometimes it, there's a lot of synergy And that's amazing when we can have that type of connection with someone sexually, which again, doesn't have to be necessarily sex. It's just like we both erotically like somebody. And then there's times we both like um, different people and we might not normally even hang out with that person otherwise. So then it's like you can't really force that connection. So I do feel like it's important to have autonomy and independence within a partnership which is the thing that I didn't feel like I had before. Mm-hmm. I felt like if I did something or wanted something that my ex-wife didn't want, then, oh, well, I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> or it's just a make or break, you know, um, mm-hmm. where I don't feel like that in this relationship. I feel like we always have things. We, I mean, there's always going to be challenges. I mean, as relationships, any relationship has. Right. But um, the difference is, the commitment to working through it and the commitment to being completely honest and transparent and not expecting somebody to be on the same page all the time. So yeah, I'm constantly learning though in that in that sense because it doesn't it's not really static. It's not like, oh, we made this agreement, so therefore we always love each other in this way. It's like we made this agreement, but let's check in about that again. <laughs> Right. I once heard this couple that they would talk about getting married for six months at a time and then every six months check in and see if that's what they still wanted. Right. And I think similarly, you're talking about a relationship that has such a dynamic fluidity that I really resonate with and I'm drawn into because I think it will always allow you to be your full self, your partner to be your full self. And there's nothing more beautiful we could ask for. I I don't know where this culture of suppression of ourself in a romantic relationship started maybe in the 50s when we got this like concept of the perfect wife that stays at home yeah. which translated to negation of ourselves but it's very pervasive any narrative that i think is still ongoing in a lot of relationships right in society right and so constantly again like i was saying about like aligning with my true self internally and externally i feel the same about my partnerships because i feel like when you meet somebody, you meet an individual and we should be always evolving as individuals. Although sometimes we get stunted or stuff happens in life and some people just become stunted. But I feel like the relationship is a a separate entity that also needs to evolve. And it doesn't mean that you are your relationship (laughs) ever. You know, there's yourself, your relationship with yourself, and then there's your, your relationship with others. And that can be formed based on the different ways you connect to different people. And what happens when you're the person, though, that tends to just remove your own boundaries of self repeatedly, you know, like, and I feel like maybe you resonate with that concept. How do you learn to actually, you know, in those moments where you might think about, you know, succeeding something that you actually want because of your love for another person, 
still stay true to yourself. That's not easy. Yeah. I mean, for me, if I start to feel uncomfortable about my level of giving, because I, again, am a giver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like because of my past, too, I get very frustrated with myself if I find that I'm giving too much. It's like overwatering a plant, you know, like, yes, yes. Um, and it's something that also is metaphorical for me because I've done that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like cacti and succulents, but there's times I've overwatered them. I'm like, oh, I didn't need that much, yeah. you know, um, so I yes. try to really think of it in that way. I learn from nature. I just feel like in the end like I have to recognize when I'm feeling a certain way and then take a pause and so that's what I call it I do take a bit longer to process like what is going on with me and I have to step away I have also even though I haven't been going to a therapist lately I've gone to therapy in the past and I've taken some tools from that and I did get my master's degree in social work so I learned a lot of therapeutic methods however that doesn't mean yeah. it really works that you can do that on yourself however <laughs> it just builds an awareness <laughs> it builds Certainly. an awareness and I'm like okay something's going on I need to step back and also yeah be able to be comfortable being vulnerable um, I find that you know again it's a societal thing to think like you know what if somebody's doing something I don't like then fuck them <laughs> instead of like what is it that you can do, my, me talking to myself, what is it you can do to express, first of all, your true desire in this situation instead of just block? Because sometimes it feels easier to, to just block and be like, you know, I'm just going to move on. But it's not really that easy at the same time, because I find that you have to heal from every relationship that you might have blocked. And I try to take those lessons into building, first of all, a closer relationship to myself and then understanding, like, where is this coming from? Why am I frustrated right now with this? Instead of, like, projected right away, instead, mm-hmm. instead of it being, like, projectile vomiting onto somebody or issues, yeah. it's just more like, I'm just going to take a moment of silence and figure this out. Sometimes okay. it's talking to a friend, sometimes it's writing, sometimes it's actually just getting the fuck out of my head and riding my yeah. bike around the park. Right. Exactly. I mean, so often when we're in those moments, we want to figure out the answer immediately or right. at least that's been my problem where I'm always like, no, let's talk about it right now rather than yeah, dissociating from the moment, stepping back and reconnecting to ourselves just to actually know what we're trying to get at in these moments. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it gets so hard, but it does. It's like we're always playing this balancing game of internal reflection time and being in the moment. And like, how do you ride that dynamic, you know, introspection versus presence? Exactly. And also the things that sometimes I discover is it's not at all about the relationship. It's about like other shit going on at work. Mm. It can be stuff going on in family. It can be also just having a bad day in in general, Mm -hmm. like mentally, emotionally, just like not feeling great you know and you're like that person that's in front of your face can easily get the thing that you think will make you feel better (laughs) it's not really Mm -hmm. making you feel better so I try to look at all of my relationships that way whether romantic or not how can I best connect with this person what is it that is making it hard right now if it's some when something comes up and then how much can I actually give how much energy can I actually give this And that's what I've really learned, my own capacity, (laughs) Mm. you know, and that is in all ways. That's like sexually, emotionally, also like when it comes to how much I can listen, because, you know, I've also had that challenge. That's the reason why I decided not to do um, one-on-one therapy anymore, because at that time when I was doing one-on-one therapy, I found Mm -hmm. that I was just taking in so much of someone else's feelings um, that I forgot my own. And it was like, you know, it's something you always learn in school. Like you have to have your own therapy or you have to figure out how to separate. But being an empath in general, um, I take in a lot of other people's energy and Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's a natural skill, but it also needs to be protected. (laughs) So I have to learn Mm -hmm. self-protection methods when it comes to how much emotional energy that I have to give. Could you say more on what those ways of protection are? I'm really resonating as a fellow empath, and I'm like, what knowledge do they have that I need to know? (laughs) 
Well, I think one thing I do is a lot of my own personal spiritual work, and I just take pieces of different things that have worked for me in my life over time. But I have a tarot deck that I always go to. Okay, yeah. Dust to Onyx is my newest tarot deck. It's like, it's called a melanated deck. It's by um, a Black artist who developed these beautiful cards, and more and more people are developing their own cards, which I think are amazing. So even just doing something that helps me see myself in third person, helps me nurture myself. So I'll be like, oh, that's that's resonating with me. Now, thanks for tell- <laughs> telling myself, thanks for channeling that for me. <laughs> yeah. And that helps me pause. I have to say that I also have learned some Tai Chi movement because I took self-defense and I worked as what we call empowerment instructor, which included teaching self-defense methods and and I included like spiritual self-defense because I do feel like that's a major part of self-defense, yeah, like wow, yeah. self-protection, even before I leave the house, like just doing like deep breathing or what they call heaven and earth breathing and um, heart opening breathing. And this really focused breathing that helps me reduce anxiety um, so that I don't get so charged, highly charged by other people's yeah. emotions. Yeah. <laughs> and less bothered. So those are some methods, but I also feel like, again, like being able to embrace my own vulnerability and be okay with things like crying, which I'm actually not, I I don't do easily. I feel you. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And, but when I do it, I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. That felt good. But you know what? Because I'm not, I don't easily cry. One thing that really helps me is being near water. So any type of ocean, pool, lake, anything like that. Sometimes it's running my body, uh, just standing under the shower for a longer time than usual, like beyond just washing my body, just being like, all right, I'm feeling some relief here, you know? And the major primary way, though, since I don't really cry a lot, is being able to come and when I say come, like squirt, <laughs> completely yeah. release all of the, the fluids in my body that I've been pent, that yeah. been pent up, which are similar to tears for me, because mm. being able to be that vulnerable um, in my body is, is something that I didn't really discover again until later. Right. When I was around squirters who were mm-hmm. talking about it in Amsterdam, yeah. actually, I have some friends that started this trapeze troupe called Squirt This Away, where they wow, where they I love like, this already. Trapeze artists squirting amongst the, like above the audience, which somebody amazing. <laughs> People had on like poncho. Wow, it's a splash poncho. zone. <laughs> yeah. But the freedom, wow. you know, the freedom of both yes. gliding in the air and also somehow, you know, squirting was just amazing. And I was like, wow, wow. So just see, being around sexually free people um, really taught me also yes. how my sexual freedom also helped me to release. Yes. Yeah, because when you watch people squirting in the air... <laughs> what matters at that point like why do I care right that's what you said you know when we started this conversation why do I care I mean they don't care yeah (laughs) and you know it's one of those things too that again it's like your bodily fluids you should not be ashamed of that's just something that happens naturally but when you repress it then you really do you Mm -hmm. do suffer you do suffer I mean just like you know I'm like wow I don't really cry so maybe I'm really holding in so much suffering that I didn't realize until Mm -hmm. like something happens where I just end up bawling over something stupid, like tripping and falling randomly and not, not being able to control that, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, realizing like, Oh, something else is really going on, you know? So I feel like, um, interestingly enough, it is tied to my sexuality and how I'm able to, you know, be vulnerable with others in order to release I was going to say, I actually just had an experience like last um, month where I had this out of body release experience Mm -hmm. at a play party, you know, after the pandemic Mm -hmm. had hit, nobody was of course able to get together. And then all of a sudden my, the production company I'm a part of kink out, uh, we decided to have a kink out retreat and I call it nature hoeing because we went to a cabin in Pennsylvania, a, a really great, amazing friend of mine who's also a dom yeah. was like, hey, help us organize a play party out here at my cabin. 
going out there, you know, I knew I needed to, I was actually struggling with some other things going on in my life. And I was like, I'm still going to go play, you know, like, why not? Because, you know, a lot of times, too, if you're struggling with, like, some things making you sad, maybe you feel, or especially if it has to do with grief, you feel, like, guilty for receiving any kind of pleasure. Um, but yeah. I felt like, wow, this is a time I really need to receive pleasure because I'm mm-hmm. not in this position right now to offer as much, but I need to be open to receiving. And that's what I want to do for this retreat. And I was able to say that in a safe space and and then... Before I knew it, like my um my live-in partner and also another dom that I know in community both fucked me at the same time, one anally and one fisting mm-hmm. me while I was on my hands and knees on the ground. And I was like completely trusting them and became completely ecstatic mm-hmm. and I didn't realize wow. that the whole rest of the party stopped to watch. <laughs> but I know I was loud. Yes. Because I wasn't even thinking about Mm -hmm. anyone being in space. I was just completely, it was just really feeling pleasure in a way where I felt not guilty. I was able to feel vulnerable and I was Mm. able to feel held in a space that made me feel no shame. So uh, that was the first. Um, And there's always new things that you can discover about yourself, too, you know, erotically, just as you discover things about yourself emotionally. So I felt like, wow, that release was really amazing. And I I thanked them (laughs) profusely in other ways. But it was it was a great um, exchange. And I felt like, yeah, I mean, it's definitely therapeutic to be able to release in that way. What do you feel like you learned about yourself in that moment of release? Well, first of all, I wasn't thinking I was going to be the one being fucked like that. I thought it was going to be my partner. But then they were like, no, you're the one that needs to get on your hands and knees. And I was like, I learned that I need to be commanded because I'm so in, I'm so in mm. control all the mm-hmm. time that I'm always a strong one. You know, and it's hard for yeah. me not to be. But it's there's also strength and vulnerability. And so I learned that in this and this um, way of being able to release, realizing that also like afterwards, people still saw me as strong. It wasn't like this thing where people are like, oh, you were in this vulnerable position and now we see you differently. It was more like they ever, they were like happy for me, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, of course. And other dom friends, cause you know, they normally see me in a more dominant position um, or like, clapping for me and like, yay, look at you. You're able to, yeah. you know, finally receive the pleasure you deserve. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I learned. Do you feel like you found what was blocking you during that time? Yeah. Previous to this? Yeah. Um, because I had a chosen family member who passed away um, suddenly. Um, mm-hmm. They were dealing with addiction for a while and regardless of you know you know people deal with addiction but you know sometimes they're functioning and at this point we hadn't heard from her in a while and we didn't know what was going on with her so to find out Mm. that she passed on was really hard and um you know when you're hoping still for the like you're still hoping somebody is being cared for and Mm -hmm. even if they're not talking to you that somebody else is caring for them and then you find out like they they passed Mm -hmm. away by themselves in their car um Mm -hmm. yeah it's just really a lot to to deal with when it comes to like just not wanting somebody ever to die alone you know like despite Mm -hmm. it all even if there was a freeing aspect because she was suffering for a while um there's still the you know, what was the last thing we talked about yeah. feeling, but, you know, I was being strong about it because her mother is somebody who's been my best friend since high school. And she, for me was like, again, being an empath, I was like, she's the one dealing with the pain. Like not me. She's mm. the one like, she's like, who am yeah. I to say I'm in pain, you know? <laughs> but mm. I do feel like that release you know, grieving is a constant process. And that release was just like something that came about in a way that I didn't expect. Um, And I didn't realize I needed that. But I did know I went in with the intention to still try to receive pleasure, try to play. But it went from trying to actually doing it. 
so that's yeah that was definitely something that was helpful for me to release and it's not something I can talk about normally to the general public or to my friend even being guess what I I got fucked I got double fucked and finally I released Yeah, not, a, not in that but, moment, at least, but maybe later on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I just want to take a moment to honor the space of how difficult that must have been for you. I could feel it as you were talking about it, the weight of that in that yeah. moment. It sounds incredibly yeah, heavy. It's, it's still very heavy, but, you know, I feel like, again, mm-hmm. like, allowing myself to receive pleasure and not feeling guilty is really important. And I feel like a lot of us just, you know, hold guilt in our bodies too. And what that does to ourselves and how that represses us. And exactly. It's like a self punishment, you know, when you don't think like, Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, because this happened, I can't, you know, I can't receive pleasure. And that actually ruins a lot of people's connectivity Mm -hmm. with others too. And I did, and I definitely didn't want that. <laughs> That's not what she would have wanted anyway. Like it, she was definitely a hedonist. So I, I kind of mm-hmm. also felt like, what would she want me to do? She would want me to do this. <laughs> a beautiful way to honor her. Wow. <laughs> um, but in those moments of high emotional states, it's often so easy for us to become so disconnected to right. our bodies. So even this, you know, moment you have here of deep connection to the present moment, your physical body, that's huge when there's a lot of emotional high, you know, energy going on. In right. Your head. And I feel like um, a really important part of healing when I realize is being able to find ways to consistently release and consistently Mm -hmm. forgive yourself or consistently allow Mm -hmm. yourself to well for me also um another thing I deal with is this idea of perfection and perfectionism and how to be okay with making mistakes and that can have to do with making mistakes and how I communicate with others it can also have to do with making Mm -hmm. mistakes and I don't know just how I actually treat myself sometimes I'm like I should have treated myself better but then I'll be hard on myself about it so even this stuff like that, just being able to recognize again, yeah. like we were talking about before, and that's what I really liked about um, listening to the Anarchy of Beginning from Love, just the somatic release mm-hmm. and really recognizing how you feel in your body versus what you're saying. And yeah. again, that having to do with alignment and allowing yourself to understand like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm feeling really uncomfortable right now, but I'm saying I'm not, <laughs> that I'm actually mm-hmm. fine. Like exactly. when people are like, how are you doing? Fine. <laughs> every time good good i know nothing <laughs> nothing at all there's always oh. something and you're never just fine you know you know so it's just like being able to recognize yeah. that and being okay with it it's the same thing about how i want to build relationships with people i, I know things cannot be perfect and be able to recognize that exactly And you use the word alignment, which I know ties originally to what we talked about at the very beginning of your different concepts of self. Yeah. Could you say more now, knowing like this fuller picture of who you are, how those two things align and what struggles you've had bringing them into alignment? Yeah. So one thing that I realized, even I just look back at growing up is I used to be very quiet. And and a lot of times the reason why I was quiet is because I didn't align with the things people were saying. (laughs) And didn't understand what the external world was about. I really love my subconscious world. And that's the reason why I'm a writer and I love to write because I feel like even reading my own writing, I learn about myself. Mm, Um, And so for me, alignment is making sure, first of all, A, that I'm okay with the fact that I am my primary, that I am always the one that needs to be checked in with first. about everything it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. what's going on if I start to profusely start sweating or feeling like you know some nervous energy I need to recognize what that is and not just Mm -hmm. say like just like brush it off and and also be okay with it and not embarrassed because that's something that Mm -hmm. I always deal with too Mm -hmm. is like because I know that I'm so different than external world people I, I sometimes get embarrassed and I just go into quiet zone, you know? Yeah. So I've learned that I need to pay more attention to my body at all times. 
<laughs> and, mm-hmm. and that that's okay. And in order for me to be able to connect to others in healthy ways, I have to do that first. And then in connecting with others, understand that also that's not always going to be aligned and that's okay. That, you know, even if I'm really aligned with someone, like even in my current relationship, I'm like, I really feel aligned with my partner, but there's times when I don't feel aligned. And then I feel like, is this, is this supposed to be the relationship that I'm in? Is this, am I, am I doing Mm -hmm. the right, am I, am I with the right person? Instead of going into that kind of fatalistic thought (laughs) to really start to realize, okay, what is it I'm blocking? What am I, where's the Mm self-protection coming from? You know, how can I communicate this differently than just being angry or resentful or, or sad? I also feel like part of my alignment that I always do need to embrace is also this feeling of sadness. It's sometimes sadness, especially as a strong person or somebody who thinks they have to be strong in a certain way again, yeah. starts to translate into anger when it's really sadness. It's not anger. It's like mm. a self-protective sadness. <laughs> So mm-hmm. just knowing knowing myself more and really being able to be accountable to me and not expect yeah. anybody else to be able to understand or do that for me is a major way that I start to gain more of alignment. Also just saying it out loud. Like I even feel like through this conversation, I was like, yeah, even at the beginning, I was like, am I going to present myself as D-Royale or Zola Bruce? I'm like, I'm both of those people. <laughs> Yeah. And, and not and not be um, ashamed to say that, like you know, yeah. even you know, now I have some major successes coming up that is going to definitely blast me internationally around the world. I have three uh, films oh, yes. in the Berlin Porn Film Festival coming up, fuck and yes, <laughs> yes exactly, fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and you know, I feel like oh, I'm so proud of all three of them. I'm, I feel yes. like, you know, what I was set out to do in, when I started to get more into myself, um, sexually and in the kink world and doing sex work and expanding my ideas around sex work is that I didn't see a lot of BIPOC genderqueer people in porn. Mm, mm-hmm. I was like going to Amsterdam yeah. as major porn libraries and you have a small, like you see the small section and all it said was mm-hmm. black ass and black pussy. There was like barely any other titles and there's wow. not a lot of black people in general that are empowered mm. in the porn world. So I was like, I need to see myself in porn. <laughs> so therefore yes. maybe I should try it. And I just fell into it and, and I enjoyed it. And I also still enjoy it, but I, I specifically have some connectivity um, with the, one of the artists that I've worked with on a horror porn called Ruptured. That's going to be at the Berlin Porn Film Festival. And also I'm so lucky to have a partner who completely supports all of my erotic activities, Amazing. who proposed that we should do a porn together called Hard at Work during the quarantine. Yes. They proposed it. I didn't even propose it. They were like, you know what? I saw a call out for like people who are already partnered who um, would be interested in doing porn and home because here we are in a quarantine. You can't just get random people to get together at this point. So we did hard at work and it's really a hot porn and it made the festival as well. And both are BIPOC. Both are BIPOC connections. Um, My partner's Dominican. Lena, who the other star um, in Ruptured is from Mexico, so she's Mexican. Also, my partner is transgender non-conforming, so that's really great for both of us mm-hmm. to be. I'm gender non-conforming or transgender non-conforming. You don't really see mm-hmm. this type of connection in any film, so that was amazing mm-hmm. to see my ourselves on film because we're like, ooh, yeah. we're hot. <laughs> you don't see it when yes. you're when you. I mean, besides like home porn that people might make personally, you don't see a professionally done porn of your own connective and see your own connectivity IRL right so that was also very amazing and people really wrote me saying how much they love that and very and that they never saw themselves on film and it's so supportive of the fact that we're showing a different side of connectivity especially for trans and gender non-conforming people Mm-hmm. Um, in the BIPOC community. And then I, for the first time, Line produced my own um, documentary. This is the first of the series um, called Sexual Healing. 
And that is really um, about the fact that, you know, we're in a society that is really a rape-based culture here in the United States. Like, I recognize that that's why people do not support sex work, because they just think of trauma and assault and yeah. violation. And people also, the amount of wage stuff sex workers deal with here because of criminalization have to do with just being exploited all the time and not being mm. respected in the work, you know? Meanwhile, a lot of people would not be as creative sexually if they weren't learning from sex workers. They might not be as be able to understand their bodies if it weren't for sex workers. There's so oh, many yes. things. There's so many aspects. Connectivity is never talked about when it comes to sex and sexuality. And that is something that I really feel is so important when it comes to healing. This is what the documentary talks about, how um, sex workers have healed through sex work themselves mm. and also how they heal others. And we never hear about ourselves as healers. And I feel like that yeah. is that is really important to put out there that, you know, a lot of us are the people who educate and help others. Mm. There's not even barely any sex ed out there. So I feel like you know, again, sex educators are also sex workers and how important that what we, what I call us essential workers are in the society mm-hmm. and how we need to change the trajectory around sex and sexuality by thinking about the consent and from a consent perspective, not in a mm-hmm. exploitative, we can just take from you and never pay you perspective. Who wants to go to work and not get paid? That's what I always ask people that are against sex work. No, I'm like, would you go to work and not get paid? How would you feel? No. I mean, right. and also the amount of violation that people, and sexual violation that people deal with on a daily basis. It's not just about sex work. It's about our society mm-hmm. being wrong. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I just, I'm really proud of the work. I'm really um, looking yeah. forward to just bringing up this topic in many other ways, like sex workers as parents and guardians and also yes. um, specifically in the BIPOC, transgender nonconforming community, and also expanding ideas in general, because sex work is not just street work. It's also yes. like, you know, yeah, more people have joined OnlyFans now because they realize, oh, I can get into my body and I can make money online during a pandemic. Like that is significant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's significant. Mm-hmm. That's all kinds of people. So I do feel like there needs to be less judgment, less shaming, more connectivity, more healing. And I just feel like everyone should have bodily autonomy in general in the society and really appreciate each other's bodies instead of denigrate each other. So that's what I'm all about. And I'm really happy to feel, again, aligned with myself and my work and what I put out there. And to come on this space embodying both. Yeah, for the first time, really. (laughs) Yes, amazing. It's so beautiful. I I get so giddy to have people on the show like you who have found their authentic self and who connect so deeply and can talk about the difficulty of getting there, but equally the joy of connecting and finding work that you're so incredibly passionate about that it just pours out of you like it is now as you're talking about it. Thank you so much. I really actually appreciate the opportunity. I mean, you never know, like, you know, when it, especially when I'm talking to someone new, like what's going to come out of the <laughs> podcast, but yeah. I feel like this is actually a very healing moment because, you know, I feel Good. like, again, a type of release by having the conversation. So thank you. I really appreciate the fact that we were able yeah. to have this conversation. Of course. And I also have to thank the bitch Empress Wu. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> For actually being the third person who um, fucked the shit out of me at the Nature Home Retreat. So, things come full circle. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) I I got to experience their work firsthand, which is great. Uh, Because sometimes you're in community and you know people are good at what they do, but now I really know that they're good with what they do exactly. so, from firsthand. So personal so, review. Yeah, I really, yeah, I really, I really appreciate that. And I'm really happy and fortunate to have such a community. Mm-hmm. And your story, I think with Empress Wu, all of this is exactly what you mean when you say sex work is healing. Yeah. In totally. your vulnerability and your story and your journey and everything that you shared here, you provided a beautiful example of how healing it could be. 
I did. Yeah, I just realized that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, did. I really did. <laughs> oh, exactly. In a moment where you, you know, were faced with such difficulty of emotions, of loss and grief, to release. How beautiful. Yeah. How beautiful. <sighs> yeah, I feel really held. I really yeah. love my kink out community. I also, yeah, just love, yeah, I have some amazing friends in general that have helped me. So I really feel very fortunate for the ways I've been able to connect to others because it does actually come back to me. It's very reciprocal. Yeah. And that's that's when life becomes fun, I feel like, when all the natural things about yourself just start to pour out in everything that you do. Right. And that's where I feel like I'm, I am right now. So that, that yes. lets me know I've evolved. Yes. Hell yes. Oh, uh, is there anything else you want to say on this? Otherwise I can give a closing question. No, I think I've said a lot. I, have, I've released yeah. a lot and revealed a lot. <laughs> I always just like to ask. Because otherwise the one of the things I ask everyone on the show is what is one thing you wish other people knew was more normal? Well, I wish other people knew that being a sexual being is very normal. None of us would have been born without it. And I feel like in order to really get more into yourself, really give up all these ideas that who you are in your body, what your desires are, are wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not wrong. Other people are wrong. Yes. People who aren't able to you know, enjoy themselves. That's their problem, not yours. Mm -hmm. The more you can really empower yourself by whether it's masturbation, whether it's connecting to other people, whether it's like finding out new things through kink or, yes. you know, I'm not going to, I also want to speak for the asexual people out there. It's yeah. not necessarily about sex. It's about mm -hmm. intimacy, how you want to communicate with others on many different frequencies and levels. And I feel like that is, something that people should really like really get to know um, mm -hmm. about themselves and what they desire. Yep. And you know, that's pleasure activism. Adrian Marie Brown. There it that's is. That's right. That is right. <laughs> Great book. Always plug that. Um, yeah. I, it, and it's beautiful too, because you also talked about this, right? During mm -hmm. this conversation of how you do connect with yourself, you're for asexual people talking about that connection to self, you spend time alone, reflecting, tarot, yeah. all these other pieces. And I think even that, you know, it's so important to establish routine, rituals, things that we know bring us peace. And I'm so glad that you found those. Yeah. Yeah, me yeah. too. Holding space that they may no longer work in the future and then find a new one, right? That's the difficulty of it. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And I'm so excited about the work that you're doing. These, where can people find your porn? Is there somewhere you want to send people? Yeah. Aorta Films is literally aorta.com. I've literally been on there. Are you on there? Yeah. I'm in several of the porn there. And there's so many, there are different ones. There's even one called Teen Angels, which is like the first time I did any kind of like, you know, that's really a lot of, it's really a fun role play. I would, oh. I would like you to check that one out if you hadn't already. And then also, um, Ruptured is, um, yeah. directed by Max Disgrace, who is a really mm -hmm. great director, very creative, very different angles in the way that they film. And Good and Green, um, in Berlin is also a really amazing director who I did a film with that was funded by Erica West, but it is very specific to Good and Green style. So it's called The Toilet Line, and, you know, it's very thematic <laughs> for Berlin, the fuck in the but. toilet. Um, and then my first, let me go all the way back to my very first one um, with Eric Pussyboy. He opened my world up to um, porn in a very experimental way with neurosex pornoia, one two and three neurosex pornoia is what, what um, he calls post-apocalyptic post-porn. What does so, that mean? <laughs> I love when people put post in front of something. <laughs> somebody asked me like, excuse me, can you tell me what post-porn is? They're like, I was like, they're like, it's like the porn after porn. I was like, yeah. Mm, what? <laughs> it's the more, 
<laughs> it's just more progressive than um, what I think we initially saw as porn. Because I don't know about you, but I've only seen like initially like No Man's Land or like some type of like you know blonde women with you know fake boobs right. and long nail porn right. versus like this, which is very very experimental with all types of people, all genders, um, all cultural backgrounds, and also using some really weird technological aspects and mm. it's called neural sex pornoia so but even that is really progressive <laughs> so yeah I feel like you know again doing film has really opened my world up to all the different types of kink that are out there and all the different ways you can connect to folks right and it's so important to have representation of a diversity of people in media so that the people who can are watching it can see themselves in it and recognize that right. this level of kink this level of play is something that i can do and so i'm just so excited for you to be doing this truly you know life-changing work for the internal space of people's eroticism it's badass and exciting <laughs> thank you yeah well, it's been great to have you. It's been so much fun to chat and learn about what an amazing, strong person you are. It's great to meet you too. Yeah. And it's really good to like learn more about your podcast. I'm going to keep listening. Oh, thank you. That means so much. I, truly, this is all I do. I love to just talk to people, learn their stories and honor the individuality of everybody. Everyone has a unique truth that I think now I'm getting hippie woo woo. <laughs> but truly, I think has like a lesson that they could share with the world in discovering their own authentic self. Right. And I, I definitely believe that. And I believe in the title of this podcast. Too. Mm. It's definitely important. Modern anarchy. Amazing. Yes. If you enjoyed today's conversation, then subscribe for new episodes released every Wednesday and follow us on Instagram at Modern Anarchy Podcast, where we open up a dialogue about all of these topics. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. And a special thanks to one of my favorite artists, Your Smith, for the intro and outro song to this show.